Okay. Well, good morning, good afternoon, oh, morning, still morning. Just feels like afternoon, eh? Yes, I've even got the dinner ready for lunch. We've got a roast dinner in the oven, so it has been a full morning this morning. Hey. Um, <clears throat> uh, just to, I don't know if you said this as well, but uh, kids are very welcome to stay in if they're not too confident to go out. And uh, we have got the sound piped through to the little room there with some toys out for little ones if you need a bit of a change. But very, we're not worried about noise, we're not worried about movement, just relax. Um, I have deliberated long and hard about what to share today, knowing what kind of meeting it was and, uh, and also where I was at personally in my own spirit. And it, but at the end of the day, I've had to stick very closely to what I believe God was saying. So I apologise if some of this kind of sounds a little bit out there. Um, but God has been speaking to me quite clearly recently and uh, I, I need to uh, just kind of bring this out here, okay? I just need to get it out there. What I sense God is saying to us, where we are uh, in the times and seasons, if you like. Um, it, it all kind of kicked off during the intervene time. So a couple of weeks back, we went over to Dorchester Football Ground and um, met with a number of other churches in the area, got together with a huge, great stage and loads of musicians. Our guys came over and, and we spent... What was it? It was about half past one till about half past nine at night, just worshipping and praying and declaring blessings over uh, the county of Dorset. It was an amazing time. And just before we started, uh, Paul White, who was organising the event, he leads the prayer house over in Weymouth, uh, kind of phoned me and said, look, Phil, I'd really like you to get involved. Would you go on a prophetic team, which is kind of someone who's like, just hearing and discerning what the direction of the day was doing and what God might be saying and all of that sort of stuff. And I said, yeah, sure. Love to do that. Love to get involved. Uh, but then straight afterwards, I thought, oh, well, I better pray then. I better, <laughs> I better actually ask God, you know, what, what we think is going on. And um, so I spent a bit of time one morning and then just as I was like, you know, normally when you're trying to hear God on something, you can never hear it. It's like, unless it's something that really doesn't matter. <laughs> Things that matter can be a little bit difficult to grab hold of sometimes. But then usually when you lose concentration and go and do something else, suddenly this little sentence pops in. And it did this time. And I felt like God said to me, go and have a look at the, at the date when Jean Darnell gave her prophetic word, her vision, you know, which we've spoken about a number of times over the years. And forgive me, if I'm sounding a bit like a scratched record, I promise this, it will be the last time for the moment, okay? I, no, I might, the other side of it, we might need to come back and say, ah, oh, this was that. But I am not going to do this again, okay? But, uh, so I went and had a look, and I googled it, Got on, the, got on the internet and, you know, Jean Darnell. And I discovered that the word was actually given in May of 1967, exactly 50 years ago to this moment, okay? And, and in a, as soon as I realized that and as soon as I came in, I felt like God was saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to perform my word. 
Okay, and uh, it, it kind of stirred me, and you, this sort of thing I can't communicate rationally because it's, it's, a, it's a confirmation within my own spirit that God's saying, hey, p- take notice, pay attention to this. So I began to look into it a little bit, and I realised that in that same year, that 1967, it was, it was quite an amazing year uh, because it was when the Jesus People movement started in the States, and literally tens of thousands of people were, were swept into the kingdom, professing faith in Jesus. The church really kind of prospered and grew in that time. Um, and, and we'd had, a, I think, just the previous week or something, we'd had a, a prophetic word from the Eastgate team talking about a reactivation of people that have become Christians in that Jesus people uh, time. So it, it really resonated with me and... I kind of looked at the number 50, and 50 is a, is a great number in the Bible. It's like, you know, 50, uh, 50 days was the time between Passover and uh, when Israel met with God on Mount Sinai at uh, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Shavuot. And uh, they had the, uh, the Torah re- revealed to them. So revelation came at that point, an encounter with God. 50 days was the time between Jesus' crucifixion and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. It's, uh, and 50 years, of course, is the time, that the Jubilee period, where captives were set free, slaves were set free, debts were cancelled. You know, all of these exciting stuff. It's a good number. Generally speaking, when you come across 50 in the Bible, it's a good one. And, uh, and I suddenly felt like God was saying, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again and just look again at the word. And we, we've spoken before uh, about the Gene Darnell word and you know, it, was a, it was a two-phase thing, wasn't it? And I, I will just recap because I know there's some visitors amongst us, so just to bring everyone up to speed. But the, the vision was, so Gene uh, Darnell was passing through the UK uh, in 1967 and three times she had this vision. Once was in Weymouth and once was in Poole, and I'm not sure where the other one was. Uh, but it, the last time was in uh, St. Mary's Longfleet. She was staying there. And uh, she had this vision of the UK as, a, as an aerial sort of photograph of a map. And as she looked down through the mist, she could see these pin pricks of light coming through. And as she looked closely, they seemed to be fires. And uh, she got down a little bit closer. You could see they were fires. And... Uh, she uh, said, Lord, what do these mean? And uh, the Lord spoke to her and said, this represents groups of uh, Christians coming together who have a heart for New Testament style church, who want the real thing, the real, uh, the real McCoy, if you like. Uh, not just going through the motions, but a heart for, the, for what went on in the New Testament, in, those, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles and all of that. And they being brought together, they're being encouraged to pray together, come together, and it speaks of a time of renewal in the church where people's hopes and hearts get lifted up, and we know that happened. So around about late 60s, 70s was the time of the charismatic renewal, and where lots of people got set on fire for God, not literally, uh, but really got their passions inflamed for God and, and uh, got released in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was a very exciting time, and we've spoken about that. But then there was a second phase of the, of the vision, which was as she continued to watch, some of those fires began to move together. 
to make little, slightly bigger fires. And uh, as they began to move together, suddenly these like lightnings came from heaven, struck the fires, and they burst into a river of really bright white fire that ran down the whole length of the country from top to bottom. And um, starting up in Scotland and going all the way down to Land's End. And literally it went over every road and every byway, every single area. Some stopped when they got to the channel and some went on over into Europe. And uh, she began to speak to God and said, what does this speak of? And the Lord said to her, this speaks of a time of national awakening for the United Kingdom. It speaks of a time where the, the good news of the gospel is going to spread into absolutely every area of life, not just the church, but into government, into education, into families, into business, into every fabric of society, and there is going to be a national awakening. And so, yeah, we got excited, and I felt like the Lord was saying, I'm ready to perform my word. Fifty years on from the time, the, the time of fullness, the time of the Holy Spirit being poured out, it's time to move on. And so we prayed into this at, um, at uh, Intervene, at the prayer time, and really proclaimed it, declared it between the different churches, and really uh, kind of pulled on heaven to see that release. And I believe that is going to happen. But that's not the main bit that I want to look at today. Uh, I wanted to bring that to your memory and put it into context of what I believe is emerging at this moment, okay? When I looked at 1967, there was one more event which was quite unusual in that year. And um, it was an extraordinary event. And I looked at it and I thought, how does that fit in? And it was something called the Six-Day War, okay? And as I began to look at this event in history, so we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson today. I'm sorry, you feel free to nod off if that was your kind of uh, state in school during history. But the more I've looked into this, the more fascinated I've got with it. But it was a particular time in history, 1967, when Israel, who uh, were celebrating their 19th day of independence. So the nation had been established for 19 years. And it was quite a young, fragile, um, not fully formed uh, government, if you like. And the whole area was in an area, a time of great kind of uh, turmoil, if you like. There had already been various skirmishes, as there have been throughout time between the Arabs and the Jews. And uh, there was a a conflict in the Sinai Peninsula and uh, it had all kind of got a bit nasty and taken quite a long time. And in the end, the UN had come and set up camp in that place. Actually, could you bung that map up? I just put put a little map. Hey, come on. Let me, me, I've even got a little pointer here. Does it work though? No, it doesn't. doesn't work at all. It's junk. Send it back. Anyway, I'll have to point. Oh, dear Lord. Perhaps I can... Oh, I've got another one. Thank you. Yay. Good. Hey, this is abundance. We've got two laser pointers. 
and one of them actually works. So, okay, so this bit is Israel, all the, that yellow bit, okay? And um, this is the Sinai Peninsula, and that's what that area of skirmish that I was talking about between Israel and Egypt here, uh, okay? And there were kind of conflicts, and there was a whole Suez crisis. The Suez Canal is down here. Really important shipping route that sort of cut off uh, a lot of, um, well, actually enabled a lot of trade to go through there. Um, and then on this side, we've got Jordan. Up here, we've got Syria. And then up at the top is the Lebanon. And Iraq is over here somewhere. So what happened in the, in the Six-Day War was uh, the president, uh, an ex-general kind of, of Egypt called Nasser, suddenly decided, I think... Now, don't quote me on this, but I think under the advice from the Russians that now might be an opportune time to take on Israel and actually remove them completely from the area. That was, that was the thought behind it. Um, so this, this president of Egypt decided to talk to the Jordan king, Hussein, and also to the, uh, whatever it was in Syria, king, I think, uh, king of Syria, or president maybe, and, uh, and then also Iraq as well got involved. So four Arab nations formed this pact and said, right, we're going to move in on Israel and we're going to blot it out completely. Okay, and, and it, was, it was a scary time. People were talking about a second Holocaust. They were talking uh, right away around the world. The, the word spread around. Now the first thing that happened was Egypt moved like 100,000 troops into the Sinai Peninsula. Now, that had been occupied by the UN for a while uh, to keep the peace since the last war. But Nasser goes to the, the guy in charge of the UN and says, I want you to leave the Sinai Peninsula. And the UN said, oh, all right then, and left and took all the peacekeeping troops. And so Nasser puts like hundreds of thousands of people in here and absolutely loads of heavy artillery and saying he's going on an exercise but coincidentally he's asked the UN to leave the area as well. At the same time pacts were made with the king of Jordan and uh, Syria and Iraq and they uh, began to get this thing it was very visible it was on the TV and everyone was getting very very scared in Israel. They uh, there was uh, uh, the president went on the TV and sa said it doesn't look good. It was all came across a bit confused and a, there wasn't a clear plan of what to do. But, he, but the then president of Israel began to mobilize people to make air raid shelters and, and to organize and people were drafted into, uh, into, the, ar into the army. And um, it didn't look good at all. Let me get on my next page. They, when, you, when you looked at the whole thing with the uh, group of allied forces with the Arabs, there was over half a million troops against about 200,000 that Israel had. There was something in the order of 700 planes against Israel's sort of 100. It, they were just grossly outgunned, outnumbered, and they did not know what to do. And actually, they weren't even in a good place with God at the time. There wasn't national prayer days and stuff like that. They were just actually having a good old panic and moving around. So, 
then what happened? So the, world, the word began to spread around the world. And this is where it starts getting interesting. Because the Jews who had been kind of spread all around the world once, you know, in the previous sort of... Uh, uh, following the war, there was a, particularly a lot in America, and they began to gather together, and they began to actually call out on God in the way that they could. It was in a different way than we would do it, but basically, what they did there was there was a particular guy in um, America, and he was called the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which is a rabbi, and he's a leader and quite an influential leader of the Jews who was in America at that time. And he began to gather people together. And he, he said to the Jews, we need to intercede on behalf of our brothers in Israel. We need to just join with them. And the way that they did it, which is you know, it's not my main point, but I find it quite interesting, is they had a, a complete onslaught of doing random acts of kindness to people. Because there's a scripture in Leviticus that says, your good deeds will make your pleas go up to the thing. So he motivated all of the Jews across America to begin to go out and do these acts of kindness on behalf of the brothers in Israel. But more importantly, more importantly, he made this declaration. And it was on TV and everything. But it says, they were gathering in, in Brooklyn and uh, this Lubavitch Rebbe uh, emphatically declared, God is guarding them, Israel, and sending them his blessings and salvation in extraordinary measure. The people of Israel will emerge from the current situation with remarkable success. He just made this really bold declaration out there. And, you know, I, I don't know how it all fits in, you know, with Old and New Covenant and all of this stuff. But this man had faith. This man had faith that God was able to move in this situation and he made that declaration. And this is something that God is really stirring me about. Declarations at the moment are so important. We were talking about it in our house group this week and about how the tongue holds the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, there is something really, really powerful about declarations. The things that we speak out, the things that we declare, which is partly why I feel I have to say this thing today, okay? Because it's not just, I'm not just teaching you this. I am declaring it into the Spirit. This is something I feel God is doing, okay? You know, and it talks about the tongue being like the rudder of a ship, and that even though it's the small little piece, it can set the whole course of that ship to its destination. And we, we need to really grab hold of this and just understand that by the words of our mouth, you know, we're setting the course and, and destination of our life. So, anyway, that's the, that's the declaration. And he's got all these guys going out doing random acts of kindness, blessing people, helping people, and um, putting the prayer in the little box that they weigh on the, wear on their head and all of this sort of stuff to, to really come before God on behalf. It, it's a real amazing picture of intercession. Someone coming before God on behalf of someone else. So back in Israel... They're still panicking. They, they, are, they have like gone round. They've gone to, I think, President Johnson in America who said, who said oh, we might send, uh, we might send an, air, uh, an aircraft carrier over to go and test the, the 
Arabs resolve, but never quite got round to it, just didn't do it, didn't actually do it. It kind of backed off, the UK backed off, the UN backed off and moved out and left <laughs> little Israel here right in the middle. I mean, if you look at this on a bigger map, they are just a dot, a dot right in the middle of a sea of Arab nations. And uh, they must have been absolutely uh, fearful. Anyway, so what happens? They're all moving in. The, the packs have been made. Nasser is now in the Sinai Peninsula. He's got all his 100,000 troops in here and heavy artillery. I mean, like a lot, which we'll get onto in a minute. Uh, the King of Jordan mobilises all of his troops and makes a move on this West Bank area, which, which includes the city of Jerusalem, uh, by the way, uh, or that side of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he begins to get all his guys in here and the Syrian troops come up and they look at this place called the Golan Heights. Uh, uh, so there's sort of three strategic areas, if you like. There's, there's the West Bank in Jerusalem, there's the Sinai Peninsula, and there's the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights was considered to be a very strategic area because it was up high. And it was it thought to be completely impregnable, that, that once you had it, no one could get you out of there because it was such an easily defendable place. The Sinai Peninsula, just there was a lot of people down there, and it was like just just no hope. And uh, the Jordanian troops, again, there was a lot of them all mobilizing and moving towards the city of Jerusalem. They thought, well, in all of this, if the Arabs are going to move in, we're going to take control of the whole of Jerusalem, not just the bit that we've got. So then, the thing that happens, the, the president's a bit ineffective, the prime minister's a little bit ineffective, but one guy raises up who, who was a the man for the time, called Moisha Diane, whose name is Moses. God's been speaking to me so much about deliverance at the moment and how apt that it is that kind of God brings a Moses to the forefront. Um, but anyway, this Moisha Diane, who's directing all of the military operations, says, we're not going to wait around to get attacked here. We're, we're going we're gonna to do a preemptive attack. And so they said, this is clearly going to happen. Everyone's moved around us. We're going to move first. And so what he did was he released, I think, 100 aeroplanes that flew six feet above the Mediterranean Sea for 70 miles to avoid detection. I'm six feet. That's the water. That's the aeroplane. For 70 miles, a hundred of them. They moved in, went straight into the Sinai Peninsula and also the cities in Egypt and destroyed 500 Egyptian planes in three hours. Half of the whole combined Arab air force was just obliterated in, in just one movement. And when they came to uh, see, even because they'd flown so low, they didn't see them till the last minute. Um, but when they did see them, they began to radio the thing around. But the whole thing got confused because the Egyptians had changed their code words and frequencies but hadn't told the Jordanians or the, or the Syrians or the anyone else. And so they never got the message. And so everyone's merrily carrying on with their thing. Meanwhile, Israel comes in and uh, strikes at those 
uh, at those airports. And, and basically, the uh, Egyptian Air Force and the Arab Air Force is completely decimated, so they've got no air support. Then they begin to move in troops into the Sinai Peninsula. And in three days, again through lack of communication on the Arab thing, they just rout them. They completely rout them and turn the whole thing over. And NASA has to go on TV. He's humiliated. He's, he just thinks he's going to lose the whole country at this rate because he thinks they're going to cross over, over the Suez Canal and into Egypt and begin to take Cairo. Uh, but they don't. Then Jordan, who, who doesn't, hasn't got the message that it's all gone badly wrong, begin to move into Jerusalem. And uh, there is this big skirmish and Israel then completely rout Jordan and take on this, this big famous battle of Ammunition Hill. Uh, I think this would make a great film. Those who love war films, it's just like, there's some airplanes going over the thing and uh, Ammunition Hill and all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's just amazing. But again, there's just a turnaround. There's a complete turnaround. And what looked like an annihilation coming from the Arabs turned around and became just a very, very quick victory. And then the same thing at the Golan Heights. Now, now Israel's on a roll and it says, right, we're on the move now. We've done well on this, we've done well on that, let's just go ahead. And they go through this heavily mined area. And to this day, people do not know how they got through this minefield without suffering huge losses. Because it was, it was just thought to be completely impregnable. But they do, they get through and they just go up to the Golan Heights and they take it. So they've taken all three of the strategic areas completely. And, and within six days, this is the shortest war in history. It is just, it is bizarre, but clearly something was on their side. And um, I felt like God was beginning to speak to me about uh, some of these things, about, about these areas, because... You know, one of the things is that, obviously I've been talking a little bit about deliverance. It it, it feels in a way like that we are in a position of some onslaught in in different areas. You know, there's been a lot of people ill around us, haven't there? There's been a lot of pressure, there's been a lot of difficulty and all of that sort of stuff. And yet God has been speaking a word of deliverance. And... You know, one of the things that I picked up from this, I, I've, we're, we're in the month of releasing the supernatural, aren't we? And uh, one of the things he's been speaking to me over, over a quite a period of time is that, you know, you cannot access the resources of heaven until you've come to the end of your own resources. You know, we've been talking about this for a few years now, but there's, and there has been a gradual kind of stripping away to a point where... You just physically can't do it yourself. Israel were in that place. If you looked at the, at the kind of likelihood that Israel would win that war, there was not a hope. Twice as many people, I mean, I think four times as many foot soldiers as there were Israeli soldiers. Twice as many aeroplanes. It's like, and the artillery was, was uh, just well outgunned. It was all supplied by the Russians. They should not have won. But in that moment, they had to throw themselves on God. They had to trust. 
And I think at that moment, I think the strategies of heaven were released to this one man, this Moses who came up, Moisha Diane. He must have got the idea, this is what we'll do. And, and when people look at the thing now, they talk about the strategies that won the war. It was the, the Arabs were in chaos. They, were, they weren't communicating, they weren't talking. But this Moisha Diane, he received clear plan and strategy to know what to do, where to go. And uh, I feel like, you know, this was a picture. This was an amazing picture of, when you, when you think about it, Israel here was a tiny area in the middle of a huge sort of Arab area. And they could have been wiped out. They could have been finished completely. But actually, in the end, now, all of this is Israel, apart from this little bit here, I think, which is, is that the, I um, can't remember what they call that. Anyway, uh, the Gaza Strip, that's what they call that bit. No, oh, there it is there, that little bit there. So now this is all Israel territory. And so they went from kind of being just hemmed in on every side, no escape, no kind of idea, no one to help, no one to come alongside. And yet God downloaded to them, maybe, probably, the strategies to know how to do it. And as a result of it, they took control of the whole of the Golan Heights and the whole of the city of Jerusalem, including the famous bit with the Wailing Wall, because up until that point, they weren't even allowed into that part of Jerusalem. But just before the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot, they were able to go into uh, where the Wailing Wall was and actually celebrate that feast, because that was about five days after the... Um, after the Six-Day War. So they were able to retake Jerusalem. They were able to retake this strategic point which kept uh, Syria and Jordan at bay over that. It was a, a very key point. And all of this area here. So, so strategically they got something. They got expanded territory. They, they received their inheritance of getting back to the temple that they had built some 1,800 years before. That was the, the area where they'd been based. And also there was a huge shift in the balance of power at that time. That um, up until that point, Israel were, were not a consideration in discussions for global affairs. But after this thing happened, they almost became a superpower. It was like they, they got a place at the table. Everyone was taking them seriously. And it like altered the whole dynamic of relationships across that whole area. So whereas the enemy had tried to wipe them out completely, actually what resulted was an increased territory, an increased prominence, uh, an increased position at the table with the balance of power, and also, uh, did I say already, receiving of the inheritance, the, the thing that they had. Now, this is what I really believe God is saying to us at the moment. That although we've been under a siege, we've been under a bit of a pressure, we've been under a time, that now is the time that he is going to release upon us. He is releasing upon us. Now, now is the time. This is the day. And Brian was praying this in the prayer meeting. It's, this is, this is a not a something that's going to happen this next year, the year after, whatever. It is happening now. <coughs> he is releasing to us 
at this moment the divine strategies to know what to do, where to go. There is this national awakening that is coming on our nation and he is releasing to us the tools and the skills and the knowledge and the revelation to know what to do and how to do it. The other amazing thing that happened in this whole area was as, as the, at the end of the Six Day War, uh, Israel sent the troops out to just scan the whole area. It's a big area and to go and help all the Egyptian troops who were left wandering around. They went out, they gave them water, and they took them to the border, to the Suez Canal here, and uh, they then had to make their own way back. But they blessed them. They blessed those that were attacking them. And then what was left in here was about $2 billion worth of um, equipment, that was left by the Egyptian army and just abandoned. And so Israel took that and that became uh, part of the spoils of war, maybe. Uh, So in every area that they were being pushed in, they resulted in a a claiming of territory. And, you know, I really think this is what God's saying to the church at the moment. We are at a season, we're at that place, that 50-year jubilee period where... It may feel like we've been pressed, but actually God is just about to increase territory hugely, hugely. He is downloading those strategies right now. And even now I'm saying, like, be expectant. Be expectant to receive those divine strategies, to hear, to have dreams, to have visions, to get words of knowledge, prophetic words or whatever that will give you the keys to really begin to move forward. So where the enemy has tried to control and limit through sickness, through tiredness, through discouragement, through financial pressure, God is just about to launch us right forward into increased area and territory in those uh, particular areas that we've been controlled in. Okay, that's the history lesson is over. Well done, you did very well. You have, you have glazed over slightly, but uh, let's just stand together, shall we? Hey, Jesus. Father, again, Lord, as I often pray, thank you for the privilege of Uh, being alive for such a time as this. Lord, we we live in exciting times and we acknowledge that you are doing amazing things in the world, uh, that things are emerging around us even now and you have chosen us to be a part of what's going on. And Father, I just now, in the name of Jesus, declare that this is the day This is the day for the divine strategies of heaven to be released. This is the day for those lightnings from heaven to come and strike the fires that will cause us to flow out onto the streets and just bring awakening to our nation. We just declare this is the day for a national awakening in the UK. This is a moment where where we have been pressed and we have been reduced, but we are going to step forward that we are going to see dramatic increase such that we couldn't even imagine if we'd planned it. And it's not because of what we can do. It's not because of our cleverness or our knowledge or our gifting, but it's because of you. It's because your supernatural power is going to be released through us, Lord. As we have come to the end of our own resources, Lord, you are releasing your resources through us. 
And we just thank you for it. We thank you in advance for that national awakening. We thank you for the salvations. We thank you for the healings that are breaking out. We thank you for the provision that is coming into the house at this time. We thank you, Lord, for the deliverance of setting people free, of captives being set free. We just declare a time of jubilee upon our land now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Take a seat one moment. Thank you, Phil. I didn't know there was a history teacher in him. I just want to say our intention in sharing these stories is not to be political in any way, but to recognise that God is real. He's alive and at work on the face of the earth. He has been and he is today. Uh, If today you've heard talk about hearing God's voice, being led by him, or the reality of the experience of God. And uh, this is something that you haven't experienced yet in your life and you would like to. And we would love to give you an opportunity as we break at the end of this meeting to come and join um, the ministry team over near the blackboards here. And they, they would love to help you, introduce you to the reality of God, that you can know what it is for God to live in you and to be with you. Um, Chris, I don't know whether you could quickly put up the notice that says what's happening next week so everybody can see where we are and what we're doing next week. So Sunday morning next week, there is pit stop for families at the youth club building in Lichitma Travers. And a morning meeting here, starting at 10.30, 10 o'clock for coffee. Uh, The morning meeting, there isn't any provision for children at that time. And then in the evening, there's a service starting at 7, come at 6.30 for coffee. And I'm really pleased to say that Bex and Moses will be with us from Uganda. Uh, So it'll be great to get an update from them. Sunday morning... The wonderful Maria McDermott is sharing with us. So, you know, it could be a two-service Sunday. (laughs) So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you this week. May you know what it is to have his smile upon you. May he give you peace as you go in Jesus' name. Amen. Go for it and enjoy.